Hello, hello. Hey, up. What's up? What's good? Que cosa sucede? Ni hao, priviet. Welcome to the Any Given Runway Show. I'm your host, Randall Carlton Green. Any Given Runway celebrates the exploration of new cultures by highlighting some of the most interesting, intellectual, and artistic people in the world. Everyone has a story. Each person a scholar. We have a fantastic show for you today with just a simply outstanding guest, author, diver, Simon Pridmore joins the show. After my talk with freediver Tony Mishliath, I started to investigate a little more about diving. And one of the books that I stumbled across was Scuba Fundamental by Simon. One of 14 books that he has authored. Scuba Fundamental is the prototypical book for anyone curious about taking up diving. And what I loved about it was that after reading it, I really felt that, that scuba diving was something that was feasible. And it was something I could do. And additionally, something that had piqued me interest. Simon's book is fantastic. And like I said, it's one of 14 books that he has written. Most recently, he wrote The Diver Who Fell from the Sky, the story of Pacific pioneer Francis Tori Biong. Originally from the UK, Simon has lived in Asia for almost 40 years. He arrived in the region to join the Royal Hong Kong Police. He's been involved at the sharp end of the scuba diving industry since the early 90s, helping pioneering mixed gas deep diving in Asia. First in Hong Kong, later through professional sports divers, his dive center in Guam, Micronesia. Today, he's one of the most prolific and well-known scuba diving and travel authors around, as well as his many books and guides. Simon writes regular comms for Variety Magazine, and he and his wife Sophie are currently in Hong Kong and spend a lot of time exploring other places, trying but failing so far to find a cure for their itchy feet. On today's episode, Simon chats about his newest book, The Diver Who Fell from the Sky. Simon also reflects on his scuba life and, and talks about how a life spent underwater has augmented his life. And finally, Simon shares with us some of his fondest memories, including some of the spookiest animals he's come across while diving. Really, really, really enjoyed my conversation with Simon. An endless resource of knowledge when it comes to all things diving. And on top of that, is just an impeccable writer as well. Thrilled for everyone to meet him. So let's go ahead and bring on author, diver, and so much more. Simon Pridmore. And let's learn. How many books total do you have now? 13, 14, something like that. I think Fantastic. 14. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, well, you know, it, it, I, I started and um, yeah, I spent years with the first book in, in my mind without yeah. actually doing it. You know, having, I used to write magazine articles and things and, and I spent years with, with that floating around in my head. And then, and then once I managed to, um, to get it down on paper and, and, then, then everything started flowing. You know, once you realized you can write a book, then, um, then you can do more, I guess. Precisely, precisely. And then it also becomes addicting too. It becomes addicting to just continue. Well, yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy getting the idea. I enjoy getting the, and, and I get opportunities because of that, because, you know, the, the latest book, The Diver Who Fell From The Sky, that came about because of my other books, you know, yeah. because, I'd done previous books and they liked the previous books and that's why they chose me to do that, you know, life story. And so that's great. Wonderful. Yeah. Isn't that wonderful how that happens, how you get a few more and then another opportunity comes up. I've already felt that as well. It's just, it's, you get a little more credibility when you have like 13 books, people are like, this is a great guy to, let's work with him. This is brilliant. Well, yes, exactly. And, and the, the thing is that as you've done with your, with your podcast, you know, there's a lot of people who, who say, you know, I, yeah, I'm going to do that. I had an idea. I had an idea for a podcast, but but it's doing it that's the key. Everybody's got the ideas. Every single person yeah. has ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Ideas are ten a penny. It's actually doing it that that, that that it makes the difference. So what's the premise of your new book, The Diver Who Fell from the Sky? It's it's the story of Francis Toribion, 
-hmm. uh, Francis Toribiong is a Palauan. He comes from the Republic of Palau, which is a small country in the Western Pacific, just east of the Philippines. So if you, if you fly from Manila in the Philippines and you fly due east for a couple of hours and maybe head a little bit south, then you, you find yourself in Palau mm -hmm. or crossing Palau. And um, it's, it's a long way from anywhere. And he grew up there. And he had the idea of um, becoming a dive instructor. And by becoming a dive instructor, he then thought, well, now I'm a dive instructor. I can try to um, encourage people to come visit Palau, where the reefs are world class. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the diving is superb. And, and that's what he did. At the time, Palau really had no industry to speak of. There were you know, people living there. They lived from the sea. They lived from farming. And, um, and, and that's it. That's all they did. And him going off to the States, um, attending dive shows and meeting people, and then giving divers a great time when they came to Palau, set off word of mouth, set off the, um, the whole concept of tourism to Palau suddenly people knew where Palau was mm -hmm. and they started going there and then he almost single-handedly started the industry that has kept the island kept the country going for for decades and um, and he did it you know right out of out of the blue really yeah because Palau when he when he was born he was born just after the second world war and one of the bloodiest battles of the second world war was felt was uh, fought on Palau itself and on the island of Peleliu between the Americans and the Japanese and the Japanese had occupied Palau. In fact, they'd owned Palau for the previous decades and they set it up as a, as an unsinkable aircraft carrier effectively. And so it was a big target for American forces and, um, and the Japanese wouldn't give up. And there was, um, at the end of the war, the country, the people were, um, this, I mean, the country was destroyed, the, the people were traumatized. And when the Americans came in, they were looking at a disaster zone. And it was then that, you know, around that time that Francis was born. So he came from that background. You know, when he was, when he was young, Palau was not a very happy place to be. And, uh, and Palauans themselves were trying to get used to their place in a new world. They'd been colonized for hundred years and um, they you know they they were looking to to make their their way in the world and amazingly it wasn't a politician who did this it was a young man who became a scuba diver and he was the one who who took them into the 20th century if you like yeah amazing story yeah and it's fascinating Plow was one of many locations that has benefited from scuba diving and, and people wanting to explore for you when did diving first become something that you were interested in and then after you became interested, when did it become from something that it was more than a hobby and it was something deeper in your life? It was kind of, it, it was, um, it was a pragmatic decision more than anything else because I learned to dive uh, in Oman. I was working in Oman as a, as a school teacher and I learned to dive there primarily because we had nothing to do in the afternoons and I went to the beach and, you know, I, I found, I didn't find that I had an affinity for windsurfing or water skiing or anything else. And I saw, I saw the guys, going out on the dive boat and I thought well, that looks like a lot of fun yeah 
and and I'd been a swimmer all my life from, from when I was very young, and that was um, so so scuba diving was something that just you know came naturally, and um, I loved it, really you know really enjoyed it. I stayed with the club there and uh, helped teach a couple of courses and and that sort of thing, and then um, life took over and my career took me to Hong Kong, and in Hong Kong I did a little diving, but I was mostly busy and bringing up a family and and that kind of thing. And then the job I had in Hong Kong was going to be, um, was going to end with the transfer of Hong Kong sovereignty from the United Kingdom to China. Mm -hmm. And so I had to find a new life. And I went to Micronesia in 92 on a, on a vacation, on a diving vacation and spent time diving in Palau uh, among other places. And during that, that time I thought, you know, maybe I'll do this. This is what I'll do. I'll, um, you know, I'll increase my qualifications. I'll look for a place to set up a dive center and I'll go into the world of scuba diving. And, and at the end of 96, beginning of 97, that's what I did. And, uh, and it was, you know, it was, a, it was great. A serendipitous choice is what it was. It was a, it was a good thing to do. And remarkable that it was caused by Hong Kong where you were living. Had you been living somewhere else, who knows what would have happened? Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, complete chance. And and the reason I chose Micronesia is because the people who knew me in scuba diving were in Hong Kong and there were direct flights to Guam. So I had a, I had a customer base from the start. And Guam is eventually where I set up my shop. Can you talk briefly about the importance of being ecologically moral and conscious of exploring underwater areas? Because I know that it's something that we go down there to, to experience the beauty, but we also have to respect the beauty and take care of it. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Well, yeah, you find you find that um, scuba divers really are at the front line mm-hmm. because they see firsthand what the, the damage that, that, um, that humankind has wreaked on the ocean, especially in the um, coastal zones around, you know, places where there's been a lot of construction on land or a lot of farming or trees have been cut down or whatever. And the reefs have been damaged or smothered, or there's a lot of fishing that, that takes place and, and, too much fishing takes place and the reefs are wiped out or the ocean is wiped out. And, and as scuba divers, we see that firsthand. We don't have just to read it in the newspapers or hear about it on TV. We see it and, and that's why a lot of scuba divers are extremely environmentally conscious mm-hmm. and, and concerned about what's happening to the oceans. And, um, and, and yeah, it's... It, it it can be it can be rather depressing, it, you know, especially if you if you dive a, for a long time and you you revisit somewhere that you visited perhaps a couple of decades ago and the the reef is not as it was and the fish life is not as it was then. You know. But on a positive note, you know, we do still find places. You have to go a little further afield to find places um, where it is still is absolutely beautiful and, and relatively untouched. But um, but but you know, sadly, close to, generally speaking, close to um, heavily populated areas, the, the oceans are, um, are not as they were. Is there anything that divers can do as a diver? Are there certain things that they can do? Can they give back in a certain way or can they bring certain things? Is there anything they can do just to make their trip also something that does benefit the environment? I mean, effectively, you know, don't touch anything. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. You know, don't, don't mess with the fish. Mm-hmm. Don't touch the corals. One of, one of the things you're taught when you learn to dive is, is to remain neutrally buoyant. Yeah. So you don't bob up and down and you don't walk along the bottom and you don't um, stand on anything. And when you, 
you um, put your equipment together, you make sure that anything that could damage the, the coral as you swim over it is tucked up or tacked, you know, tucked in somewhere or attached to your, um, your harness. And you, you know, that's, um, th these are small things, but it helps. It means that when you go down, all you're doing is, is viewing. Mm -hmm. you're, you're not actually causing too much chaos within the environment and, um, and disturbing it. You're just, it's just, it's underwater tourism. Yeah. And you, you try and you try and make as little impact as possible. The underwater fly in the wall. Love that. Um, yeah, indeed. Yes, yes, yeah. Even with diving, most of underwater locations are unexplored by humans. With the ever-changing landscape, I'm sure that makes for a lot of diving, there's a lot of uncertainty. And especially as you mentioned that areas that have a lot of people, that's when you might have seen some damaging. So more divers are going out farther and farther, going to more mm. secluded locations. With the unexplored areas, going to come with a lot of potential danger potential places sure. that might not be safe. So how do you balance the fact that you have this insatiable desire to just continue to explore? You want to continue to learn. You want to go places that you haven't been. You want to see things you haven't seen, but also being safe. How do you, how do you balance that? Well, there's, way, there's ways of doing things. There's ways of scuba diving, which um, over the years have been developed so that when you dive, if you, if you stay within the set procedures and if the people who are controlling, supervising the dive, if they run it um, in a safe way, then the danger that you, um, that, that you encounter is very small. There's, there's very little risk to it if you do it properly. And, and a lot of that is maintaining self-discipline and, and working out what you're going to do beforehand and then not changing your mind halfway through and deciding that you're going to do something completely different. Um, the discipline when something goes wrong to abort a dive rather than try and fix it underwater and, and, um, and continue when you're not really in a situation to, to continue. Diving with people who know what they're doing because often the person underwater doesn't have a, um, a complete picture of what's going on weather-wise or um, to the sea conditions. So if you've the, you're very much reliant when you dive in remote locations on the professionalism and the knowledge and the experience of the people on the boat above you. You know, when you come up from a dive, you send up a marker boy saying where you are, and you really hope there's somebody there who's sharp-eyed enough to see where you are and, yeah. and come over and pick you up. And it, it's a team effort. Yeah. And if the team is, is professional if the, and if it functions as it should, then the risk is relatively, relatively low. You hear of accidents, people scuba diving. Usually, it's it's human error. Somebody's somebody's done something they uh, they really shouldn't have done, and, um, and but it's an accident. You know, accidents happen. Yeah, okay, you can't you can't have a. It's very hard to maintain a zero accident, um, you know, record. It's it's tough. But yeah, if if you do it right, then um, then you should be fine. What are some of the most extreme situations you've seen in which? Communication has been needed maybe because of weather. Have there been times where you've been underwater and the boat was trying to reach out to you and talk to you because of maybe fast changing weather? And second part of that was, had there been experiences that you've been in where the weather did change so fast that you had to change your plans? Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, you did that, that happens frequently. You're, as, as I said, you know, the you, when you're the person underwater, you can't see the weather changing. If you're depending how deep yeah. you are, but generally speaking, you can't see the weather changing, but the boat can. Yeah. And if you've got experienced people on the boat, they'll know where 
where you are. And I've been, I've been on a dive. We used to do extremely long, deep dives where we'd be underwater for two, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. And during that time, a lot can change on the surface. Mm -hmm. And I've been underwater on a dive where it's been a beautiful blue sky day when we went down. And when we've come up and you do decompression stops in the shallows on your, on your ascent. And from there, from your decompression stop, you can look up and you can see the, the state of the sea. In fact, you can feel it sort of blowing you about in the shallows. And, um, and you think, well, where on earth did this come from? And, yeah. and I've come up from, a, you know, gone in on a dive when it's beautiful, calm, beautifully calm and come up when um, there's a storm raging. And then you really, you know, you've got the boat, your boat is there um, because they, they know what they're doing. But then you've got to figure out how to get divers from the water's surface into the boat. Yeah. When there, when there are waves breaking over you, you know, which is, which is tough. But again, you know, if you're diving with the right people, then it all goes well. And, uh, and you keep calm, you keep patient and that's, that's fine. But accidents do happen. And when the thing is that, um, when you're in a situation like that, you need to be carrying, you need to have foreseen that the possibility that this will happen and then carry the equipment, which will make, um, as sure as you possibly can, that you will be found. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, if you are in a, um, if you know you're diving in a very remote location and there's a good chance that you may lose the boat, then carrying some sort of communications device which will connect with the satellite and tell searchers where you are is, you know, that, that's what you can do. And then the people on the boat who can't find you will then report to the authorities. You know, in the US, it would be the Coast Guard. And the Coast Guard have got the systems to find a floating diver if the diver is sending a signal out. And mm -hmm. So again, it's a, it's, a team, it's a team effort. It is. You mentioned about when things do change, the importance of staying calm. And I know yeah. that for, for divers, that's one thing that is amplified in their life. They, they become more calm because of the slow breathing. It's almost a meditative state going underwater. Aside from an overall calmness to your life, in what other ways has a life that has been spent many hours underwater, how has that changed you? Well, it, it, one benefit is you, you meet like-minded people. And, and you, you meet people from all walks of life. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when we're on a dive boat, you can have 16 people on a dive boat and you can, generally speaking, guarantee that if they weren't divers, they would never, their paths would never have crossed. And yet you can make the firmest friends in life yeah. from, from, from those encounters. You know, it, it's, um, that, 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 that is a real benefit of diving, which is, which is, um, which is not recognized enough, I think, that it's, it's a social thing and it brings, it brings um, rich folk in the, into contact with not so rich folk, it brings um, sportsmen in contact with bankers, it brings, it, I, you know, all this sort of thing, it, people from completely different walks of life and they find they have, you know, a lot in common. Beyond diving, it's diving that brought them together, but then they find they, they, have, they make a human connection as well. It's really nice. Your photos underwater are remarkable, and I know that you're an amateur photographer, yeah, so, but, yeah. but they're, they're just remarkable. And some of the places you have been just blows my mind, some of the pictures you have posted. You've dived throughout the world, oftentimes in many unusual places. Mm. Of all those, I'm not asking for your favorite, because I know that would be impossible for you to choose, but which are the locations that just left the indelible marks 
on you that you, you just can't shake and you still feel yourself thinking back to. Yeah, it's, yes. Some, some are uh, predictable. Um, the Galapagos Islands. Mm. The, the, and uh, Raja Ampat, which is northwest um, Papua in Indonesia. These are Palau itself. These are, these are places which um, are, they're meccas for scuba divers, effectively. Yeah. You know, they're, they're places that, um, that every scuba diver has on their list and they, they want to tick off. But there are unusual places too that, that are really worth, you know, worth going to. The, in, um, had the good fortune to dive in Lake Baikal in oh, Siberia. Wow. Yeah. And that was something that will, you know, live with me for the rest of my life. That absolutely fantastic and you know it's once you're there it's an easy thing to do there are people who take people diving on lake baikal but it's it's not something that you you immediately think of you know when you when you think you're where am i going to go scuba diving and um and there are all sorts of places you know you can you can go snorkeling with basking sharks off scotland you can um you can do warm water diving off the off an island about an hour's ferry ride out of Tokyo in Japan, um, Oshima Island. Wonderful scuba diving, but um, in a completely unusual place. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so, you know, it really is. It's, it's, there's a lot of well-known places, but, um, but if you've got a little imagination, you can, you can find places that are really off the map, but are still, are still rewarding. You recently posted pictures of a location that was under ice. Where was that? Oh, this would be in the Arctic Sea, um, in the up in an area just south of Murmansk, beyond the Arctic Circle in Russia, um, where oh. every year around this time the sea ices up and the um, and people go scuba diving beneath the ice. And again, you've got a couple of resorts up there that have, have the system um, sorted out. You you get up in the morning, you put your dive gear in the back of a in a wagon, mm -hmm. and then you sit in another wagon, and you're pulled by a jet ski across the ice, and then through the woods and everything else to your um, diving site. And you've mm -hmm. got guys there who are cutting holes in the ice to through which you will dive. Yeah. And um, you dress in heated huts on skis. And then once you're dressed, you, you head for the hole in the ice. You sort of waddle across the hole in the ice and you sit in it and then jump in and, and all the rest of it. And then in, in the ocean, it's, it's minus two. Above, you know, on the ice, it can be minus 20 or, or lower. But, um, but it's a thrill. It's, it's a thrill. It's a great thing to do. And of course, you know, when you're with a professional organization, they've, got, they've taken care of everything. They, they make sure the hole in the ice is, um, is kept clear of ice while you're down. Because if the guy who's manning the hole forgets or sleeps or gets yeah. distracted, then it'll yeah. ice over and you can't get back through. Yeah. And then there's no other way out. So again, you know, this is, this is why you dive with people who know what they're doing. When I talk to uh, other athletes and, and extreme athletes like, like skydivers, they, they, they love the adrenaline. Now, diving is a peaceful activity for the most part, slower breaths. But yeah. for you, when you go to these un unusual locations where you have to worry about someone making sure the ice doesn't freeze up on it, how does that added adrenaline, how does that affect you? Is that something you actually enjoy as well, knowing that this, this dive might be a little more dangerous than previous ones? I'm not sure it's adrenaline. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I know what you mean. I, yeah. And I, I, the, 
you do feel adrenaline on dives, but that's that's sometimes because something has gone wrong, or okay. you 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 find something that um, has happened that you didn't expect, and and that's not a feeling you really want to have on any dive. You know, you want you want to be able to you know. So the adrenaline comes from that. The 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 post dive, um, the, the yeah the post dive feeling. Once if you've done a dive that was that was exceptional, that perhaps you were a little keyed up for, yeah. like as we described, you know, when you drop through the ice, it's all very well. You see the guy up top and everything else, but you think, well, you what if? <laughs> and um, and maybe that's part of the the post dive buzz that you get. You know, yeah. it, it's great. You know, if you're on a dive deck after. And again, you know, you've got your 16 folk on the dive deck and everybody's come back after after a dive. And that dive was particularly spectacular. Maybe you saw, you know, marine life that you were looking forward to seeing, very rare marine life. And you all come back and it's um, it's a party. There's lots of, you know, especially you've got Americans around, you can imagine. Right. It, you it. know, there's lots of whooping and hollering and, and <laughs> high-fiving and, and all the rest of it. And it's great. It's a great feeling. You know, when it all goes well, and I, and I guess that's that's part of the release. You know, there's a little bit of tension, a little bit of you know, of um, of perhaps you know, um, preactivity, anxiety. But uh, but when that's all released at the at the end of it, and everybody's succeeded and got what they want out of the experience, yeah, it's good. What are the locations that are on your list that you haven't been able to dive yet, but are the top of your list that you're like, I have to get there. Well, we've got, um, it's, there's an area of, of Papua New Guinea that, that we've got um, on the list for, you know, once, once this pandemic is, um, is under control and we can get back out and, um, and do some dime, we've got, uh, we've got that on the list. The um, Papua New Guinea is, is, is spectacular, spectacular. And we've got, we want to go back to Russia. We want to do the Order Cave in, in Russia, in the middle of Russia. We want to do some Black Sea diving, the, the wrecks of the, of the Black Sea. Wow. We want to do that sort of thing. Um, and the Galapagos, you know, Return of the Galapagos is always on the, on the cards. But if that's, you know, they, these are the projects we have. They, they're, what we try and do, we, we run a couple of trips a year for divers who've traveled with us you know frequently in the past and we always try and trying to take people to different places to to explore areas where few have gone before yeah and um and and sometimes it you know works really well and sometimes it's disappointing but it, you know that's that's part of the exploration side of it so uh indonesia we have uh, we've got more areas of indonesia we'd like to to cover and uh yeah, that, that's on the cards as well. You recently posted a picture of a Chinese sea snake that I know for me yeah. when I saw that, it gave me quite a bit of shiver here on land. What have been your most memorable interactions with marine life underwater? Well, those, those sea snakes is definitely one of them. And the, 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 that sea snake was actually taken, the one you're referring to was, um, was on a dive off Taiwan. And um, I did a, the first English language dive guide to Taiwan, uh, published that last year. And the research for that dive guide took us um, all around the island. And, um, and we came upon five different species of sea snake during that. But we, we've had that there's an island called Manuk in the Banda Sea in Indonesia. And there are olive sea snakes 
that assemble around there in their thousands. The, the, you, you, can, you can be in the ocean and these snakes are all around you. And they, they not all, I mean, sea snakes are not necessarily harmless. You know, if, if one bites you, then it carries a venom and the venom can hurt. But, um, but generally speaking, they don't. You, you are not, you know, you, they have no interest in biting you at all. They, their interest is getting out of the way. But sometimes you're there watching them and they're swimming around and they're trying to avoid you and they're not always successful. And so you do feel them rushing, you know, wrapping around your leg or, or you know, skimming across your, yeah. the top of your head. And it's, um, that's, you know, that's a cool thing to do. And, and they are, again, they are, you know, they're, they're, they don't harm people. There are not many, there, there are no instances, as far as I know, where a sea snake has... Um, has deliberately harmed a human being yet there is you can after this chat you can look up sea snake and moray eel i do you know what a moray you can imagine a moray i've moray seen eel. them i've seen them yeah. right it's a big fat eel yeah and um they have if you look up youtube and you have sea snake fights with moray eel you can see what a sea snake does to a moray eel if it gets a chance and um and it's a scary looking thing <laughs> i think so much of the probably the experiences you've had with animals underwater is just, again, the uncertainty. Like I've never seen this creature before. That's probably put you in for quite of a shock. Yes. Yes. And, and it's, it, that's the thing. It's a thrill. It's, it's, and the thrill can, can overcome your, you know, your, um, your natural reluctance to get involved with these creatures because you want, especially if you've got a camera in your hand Yeah. and, and you want to get a shot of it, you know, you can find, you can certainly find yourself, um, distracted and I, I remember i had a cat this was in um the south of papua new guinea the area in between new guinea and australia we were diving there and um and we we came across some oceanic white tip sharks which aren't the biggest shark in the world but they're relatively aggressive and they're big and they um and and i was out and you know we, we encountered them and i was out with the camera trying to get shots of the uh, of the sharks it was sort of circling around and um and i looked behind me and everybody else in the team was flat on the reef wall just looking out and thinking i don't want to get this you know have to get this uh, give this shark the opportunity to get behind me mm. and then it occurred to me that that was probably where i should be too so i yeah. scooted over and joined them and you know but you, you can get distracted i'm, I'm sure distractions are, are frequent yeah. I know you mentioned a little bit about some of the locations that are at the top of your list, especially when travel is a little more normal. What are your primary goals for 2021? What are you, what are you looking to accomplish this year? And future books, future plans, future projects, and future travels? Yeah, well, there's a couple of dive guides we've got to finish. Mm -hmm. A couple of dive guides we've done, which will get translated into other languages. It's um, because we can't get out very far and travel is so difficult now. You know, we... Um, my wife and I, my wife and I run, run, it's, it's a mini publishing business, if you like, because we, we do everything um, ourselves to do with the various books I've had published over the years. And, um, and we're supervising some audio books of, um, of some of the scuba series books that I did. So yeah, so 2020 and 2021 are years of consolidation. We'll, we, we hope that by the end of this year, we can get out again and um, and start new projects, but at the moment it's uh, it's tough. Right. But uh, but it's still out there, and from what I've from what I hear, 
diving business in general have managed to um, to stay, you know, stay there, stick with it. People, they're not working as they as they did. You know, people have had to be laid off, but the business themselves are trying to keep going and and keep ready for when um, when the borders open up again and people can start traveling again. And and so it looks like the industry is is, is at least so far proving fairly resilient to the to pandemic, which is good news. Very good great news. news. This is awesome. You are such a reservoir of knowledge for scuba diving and underwater exploration. How can people stay up to date and follow your adventures? And also, how can they find your books and get more information? I have a website. Uh, it's simonpridmore.com. And there are links there to various stores where the books are, are sold. Uh, mostly Amazon. If I've got a page on Amazon and um, the books are in ebook, paperback, audiobook form mostly and um yeah that's that's how to do it there's there are five books in the scuba series there's a few dive guides taiwan indonesia there's um the dive who fell from the sky the about francis terribion and uh, myself and a chap an australian guy named uh, david strike we even did a couple of scuba diving cookbooks where we got some um, famous scuba divers to tell us about their favorite dive or you know a not- notable dive that they did and also a recipe they like to cook. Fantastic. And we, we, this was this was a crazy idea that David came up with, but um, but it worked. Surprisingly, they, more divers are cooks than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> I love the life that you're living. I have a quote of the day that I that I read, and the, today's quote was: "Make sure you live every day of your life." And you're the epitome of that. You've lived every day of your life. You're riding. You're staying busy. You're exploring. You have a you have a just genuine zest for. It's true, it, 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 but I, you know, I, we we said before, about, you know, the key of having the not having the idea is not enough. It's doing it that, that's mm-hmm. the key. But you've also you also have to concentrate on on it. It's there are what what my wife Sophie and I have found over the years is there are plenty of people who who will have ideas of how you can do something for them, and. They will that that can can turn you away from what you really want to do, which is to have choice, yeah. have the freedom to choose what you what you do, and it can be it can be hard to make sure that you keep that freedom. That's that's the toughest thing of all. There are, there are lots of people who wanna who wanna tie you down, and maybe they have good motivation. You know, maybe they they have a good um, they they genuinely you know they they. They have a project, perhaps that they think you'd you'd um, you'd be good at, but um, but it has to be something that fits within your frame. You know, it fits what you want from life rather than just what they want. And, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess that's one of, that's one of the of the secrets of keeping, and it's it's not easy. Yeah. The 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 the, um, the attraction of getting a a steady job. You know, of, of, with with guaranteed salary and everything else is uh, is a powerful one. It's a powerful it's a powerful draw, but it's also an anchor that can can hold you down, can yeah. hold you back. And some people were not meant to be anchored. That's for sure. No, no, that's right. Really, really enjoyed enjoyed chatting with you today. Nice meeting you. Nice meeting you as well. I know we'll talk again, but uh, thank you for today. And uh, I'm gonna go start my day, and you're gonna wind down your day. So this is brilliant. Have a great day. <laughs> Have a good day in Arizona. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. Much appreciation to Simon. A lot of different ways you can check him out. Be sure to scoop up his newest book, The Diver Who Fell from the Sky. And you can find more information from simonpridmore.com. 
give him a follow on Instagram as well. Tons of great photos. Oh man, and you could see the sea snake that we were talking about as well. My new book, Curiosity, is currently available on Amazon. Curiosity celebrates the knowledge that strangers have to offer. Everyone has unique expertise and endless wisdom awaits the perpetually curious. Featuring 200 episodes from the Any Given Runway Show, Curiosity explores the diverse lives of athletes, adventurers, and performers. From daring voyages across the Atlantic to unforgettable performances in the West End, Curiosity celebrates the sophisticated thing we call life. Everyone has a story. Each person is a scholar. Thank you for listening. Fill up that passport. I'll see you on the road. Aviento. Aviento.